What's up, horror fans? Pete here from the Lasser Cast, and I am super excited because we have yet another awesome writer on the show. We have Mr. Danger Slater, who is here to talk about his book, Moonfellows, as well as some of his other books that he's put out in the past few years. I just met him at the Ghoulish Book Festival a couple of months ago, and um, I've just been dying to have him on the show. So welcome. Yeah, thanks. You, you said you're super excited. That's that's exciting for, for me. I, I get excited, but not super excited very often. So, <laughs> Well, I just drank like a big uh, Coke Zero from like Circle K, so that uh, probably adds to it. Yeah. You know, I, I actually really like Coke Zero. It's it's It tastes just like Coke to me. I do those. Uh, do you have any of those Coke coffee mixes? I know what you're about. I've never had one of those, though. Dude, they're fucking delicious. Yeah. Yeah. They, I, you wouldn't think so. Uh, I remember my girlfriend telling me that uh, another writer we know, Laura Lee Barr, was talking about how she liked to mix RC Cola with her coffee. And we were just like, that's fucking insane. What are you talking about? Um <laughs> And then we saw that Coke shit for sale, and I tried it. And I was like, she was right. This is delicious. <laughs> well, so do you need, like, a lot of caffeine to write, like – do you have a, a day job, too, or uh, – Not currently. I, I probably need one. <laughs> not, you know how it is. Dude, it, it, money is, like, so unpredictable in this business. There might be moments where things are working pretty well, and then right. that shit dries up very quickly (laughs) and unless something happens or there's some other bump or you have something new out you gotta figure out what the hell to do in the meantime and uh yeah i'm kind of coasting right now waiting to see how much momentum moonfellas picks up before before i commit to something i have two um conventions i'm going to in september and then a a a trip to visit my parents in new jersey at, at the beginning of october so it's a little hard to kind of look for a job on, and oh. be like, I also need out for an entire month right after you hire me. <laughs> so. Right. 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 Oh man. Yeah. That's um. the reason why I even asked that was because, you know, I, I write too and I yeah. you know, do these shows and I have, um, you know, two kids and I have a day job. So it's like, I have to just drink a lot of caffeine just so I yeah. can do the things I want to do. You know, I just like it, man. I, 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 I'm one of those guys. I, I kind of have this like even keel, I feel like like I, I, I kind of have this baseline where I'm not really too excited or too unexcited about anything. But mm-hmm. I, when I start drinking caffeine, I can feel it like waking up inside of me, this like this energy. And then I drink too much because I don't know how to say no. And yeah. uh, and then I'm like, well, I'm fucked. <laughs> My body's vibrating. I'm no longer I can no longer concentrate. I'm just uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I actually just saw like a TikTok the other day that was just about that, where it's just like, you know, just, oh, I'm going to drink one cup of coffee, I'm going to drink two, and then they get to four, and then they like almost die, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's so it. you the said fourth, that you- the fourth one. Oh, I, do three, I do three cups when I'm writing, and that's that's oh, it. Really? I know if I drink that fourth one, I'm fucked. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, you mentioned that you were going to go visit your parents in New Jersey. And I remember that yeah. the, the one conversation we had was right when you were um, doing that campfire story contest. And so yeah. I went up to you and, and you told this cool story. You were the first one to go and do the story. And, I, and yeah. I said, I'm from Staten Island, you know, which is pretty close to New Jersey. And I was wondering, like, yeah. that story, you said it was kind of from like a personal place, you know, it's like mm-hmm. a, kind of based on true stuff. Did you have like kind of creepy experiences when you were a kid? Man, I just want to say this about that campfire 
thing. This is we're talking about the Ghoulish Book Fest. There was the campfire thing. There was uh, we told campfire stories. There's four of us. Uh, I was trying to play it straight, do a, yeah, do a yeah. very serious like I want to tell a creepy thing. I looked up how to tell a campfire story. I'm like, you got to add sound effects. I had this like footstep thing. I was hitting my shoulder to add add to the ambiance. Uh, right. Uh, and then at the end of the, at the end, the last two guys to go, uh, Asman, Brian Asman and Andrew Hilbert just went fucking full goofy comedy and it, it was killing. And I'm like, I should have known, I should have known to go silly. Uh, yeah. I, I've gotten a lot of good feedback just from that, that story though. People were like, I enjoyed that, that, right. that actu- the actual campfire <laughs> story you told instead of a fucking long form joke. Right. Um, exactly. It's and, and yeah. like, that's a, the deal yeah. is that, like, you know, I was going to do it, too, and I chickened out before it was my turn. But, like, um, I, I was going to do it just like your story, where yeah. it was very serious. And then, yeah. Yeah. So th- that is, like, that – a lot of what I was talking about is, in that story, I was talking about these guys from my hometown that lived in the woods. Uh, we it, it was kind of a, a, a rural New Jersey town, rural for New Jersey. Uh, you know, New Jersey rural isn't quite – uh, like Midwest rural, <laughs> right, but, right. but it was not a huge town and there was a lot of woods in it. There's a lake there. And, uh, it, it was an old, um, resort town for a lot of New Yorkers. They used to call it little Brooklyn actually. Um, okay. it's called Hopakon now after the name of the lake, but it was mm-hmm. called little Brooklyn for a while because all Brooklynites in the early 1900s would have their summer homes here. It was a place they could travel to by train. Uh, right. you know, the air airlines didn't really exist <laughs> or they were prohibitively expensive for a lot of people. So this yeah. is a place people from the city could drive to. So there's um, a lot of forgotten stuff in this town that just kind of fell apart and grew over and the town kind of grew on top of. So there's old train tracks that no longer get used. There's old amusement parks that are just crumbling apart, big old buildings that people haven't lived in for decades. And this shit's everywhere. And it's, it was just like a really strange little town. Um, Had it's had a lot of personality and there was these two kind of weird characters that lived in the woods that we called the skinnies because they were skinny <laughs> they probably were <laughs> probably weren't eating very much now that right. I'm an adult thinking about it but as a child who hung out in the woods a lot there's trails dirt bike trails and things to wander around abandoned houses to go explore right um these guys yeah. you'd see them every once in a while and we'd be all scared and run away and shit so yeah yeah it, it reminded me of my childhood because like even on staten island you know going back i guess like over 30 years at this point is there still was a lot of woods and you yeah. just go around and, and there's all kinds of weird shit out there. And uh, yeah, sometimes every so often you see like kind of a creepy person. So that's kind of why that story resonated with me. And, and it's you, kind of, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was say you guys had, uh, what was his name? Cropsy out there. Cropsy. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> Urban legend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then um, there's also the, like the mental institution that they had too. that. Um, yeah. That was, they did a whole like documentary on that. That's a real creepy place too. Um, but I, I find, say, I find well, Staten Island to be a lot like New Jersey, like with that same kind of relationship to New York City, like where it's kind oh, yeah. of like an offshoot of New York. I mean, it's technically a part of New York City, but right. it does not feel like Manhattan or Brooklyn no or any of the other boroughs. Uh, it right. feels like New Jersey when you're in there. It's very suburban uh, yeah. in, in that kind of way. Uh, well, yeah, adjacent when, to the city. Yeah. 
And, and like when you mentioned that, you know, that it was like little Brooklyn and that people would go there for the summer. I feel like that's kind of the progression is that people go from like Brooklyn to Staten Island, then to New Jersey, and then they eventually go to Florida. That's like the yeah. evolution. <laughs> you know? I have to tell everyone who who's who's touchstone with New Jersey is that the Jersey Shore. I'm like, those guys are from Staten Island. Those are those yeah, aren't actually yeah. Jersey people. Like, we That's got our right. own version of that, but like, right. what they're cut that energy they're bringing is Staten Island energy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I live in uh, Texas now. I left that all behind. So, and yeah. then you, you live in California. I live in Oregon right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. In Portland. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there before. Nice. Yeah. yeah well, um, I was going to say that with your uh, story that you did for the ghoulish campfire, you know, that was very serious. And then you were talking about Brian Asman having this like real jokey kind of story. And I feel like that reminds me of Moonfellows and Puppet Skin. Because yeah. I feel like Puppet Skin is very serious. And, you know, it's kind of like this metaphorical story about conformity. And then like Moonfellows is this kind of like absurd kind of comedy. Is there a particular type of story that you feel the most comfortable with, or you feel like that's more like your signature or do you just like to do all different types of genres or subgenres? Well, okay. This is a, that's a really interesting question. I don't make a huge distinction in my mind between what I was doing in a more serious story like puppet skin or something that's completely off the wall, absurd like Moonfellows, because the there's a there's a, a usually a a focus or a point or some kind of emotional core to the story that is what I'm really focusing it on, and so even something with as jokey as Moonfellows doesn't to me feel like a comedy. I know it is a comedy. I know there's lots of humor in it, um, but right. to me, but to me, it is a story about like loneliness, which is also what Puppet Skin is about too in, in a lot of ways uh, or feeling alienated or feeling kind of disconnected from people around you right so uh, the dressing that i that i put it in it uh feels like kind of the organic shape the story takes as i'm writing it okay but when i'm what i'm actually focusing on is kind of that that heart at the center of it and so they don't i'm not really taking that this like intentional approach is kind of what I'm trying to say. I'm, I'm not trying to, to make something a certain way. I don't, I, you know, <laughs> I don't even think of myself as a genre writer. I like, I use a lot of horror tropes. My books are horror books, right? Um, but they're also bizarro books. They're also comedies. Moonfellows is sci-fi and alternative history. And it's kind of presented like a fairy tale and it's like got all these elements that I don't want to uh, try and pigeonhole an idea into being a certain thing because I, I don't want to limit myself as as a as a storyteller. Yeah. yeah. No, no, that makes a lot of sense. I, it, I I just was like so curious about like your thought process when you made it because honestly I've never read a book like Moonfellows. Yeah. Like I. You know, I, I kind of get stuck in those little genres. Like I get stuck in like just straight up horror, sci-fi, fantasy. And like, I couldn't really compare it to anything else that I've read. Like the, the closest thing I could compare it to is like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I know that's not really the same kind of thing. Yeah. It's just like that idea of like taking sci-fi concepts and just like 
making them as absurd as possible. Like, is there anything that you could compare Moonfellows to? Um, you know, at the, I, I did a little afterward at the end of the book where I kind of threw down a few of my influences of where I was kind of coming from. And a lot of it was uh, the early 19th century uh, or, the, or the late 19th century, early 20th century science fiction writers and filmmakers, um, George Millet, Millet <laughs> who made yeah. a trip to the moon and the impossible voyage and a couple other films about space travel uh, in the early days of silent film where we did, we knew nothing about science back then. Um, we knew nothing like we were 70 years from fucking landing on the moon basically at that point. Right. Uh, and there, there, so there's a lot of speculation on how we could do these things. People have always looked at the stars and kind of dreamed of what could be out there or what any of this means. But I wanted to take that same kind of approach that these early science fiction writers would take with science going, well, what is a logical or at least plausible <laughs> in, in, in its own kind of contained way explanation of how you could get a bunch of people in the early 1900s to the moon. And then once you kind of open that idea up, you go, okay, this is the world. You kind of keep snowballing. You go, where do you build from there? Where do you build right. out from there? You know, okay, they got to the moon in a in a ruined train car with a with a kind of helium balloon thing tied to the top of it. <laughs> right. Okay. How are they talking to Earth? Well, the guy had to invent some sort of GPS uh, satellite system that does cell phone communication. Like, even though right. it's 1900, so you had to kind of, I had to kind of come up with silly. It ended up being silly, but because we know that's not how the world works, but. Um, I had to come up with a lot of ways to, you know, make it so that it makes sense or is fun for a modern audience in, in those ways that's kind of just breaking the rules constantly. The rules of reality, the rules of logic, um, but also not breaking the rules of its own logic. Yeah. You know, like it's it's got that self-contained logic where... And there's this kind of one-upsmanship that I like to do when I'm writing. Um, it, it happens in puppet skin too, where I kind of, you start with a kind of weird premise and then I push it, the idea to that limit as quick as I can. I go, oh, okay. okay, someone thinks this is what this book is. Let's get there by page four, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, let's, yeah. let's get you there as fast as possible and then go, yeah. how much further can we take it? This is the next place I think it goes. Cool. How much further can we take it? How much further can we take it and keep getting weirder and bigger in the scope and the idea of what a book is going to do the, you know, the, the third, I don't want to, you know, we're not going to give anything away here, but the third act of puppet skin really goes full, like metaphysical, right? Like heady, like, what is this psychedelic almost? Um, right. And it's just like, yeah, like I want to push this idea further than someone thinks. Someone goes, Oh, it's about a little girl, a little puppet girl who's going to, have problems with her parents and she doesn't want to be a puppet or, or whatever. No, I mean, yes, it is that, but that's not where we're landing. We're landing way, way further than that. And I yeah. wanted to do the same thing with Moonfellows, go way, way further than you would think this book would go. Um, not just in terms of where the story goes, but 
in terms of it's so silly, but at the same time, I wanted it to be really sad. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so it's going, it's going deeper inside as much as it can, as, as much as it's trying to go bigger outside. Mm, mm-hmm. Is this making any sense? I feel like I'm just fucking rattling. No, rattling no, 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 not at all. As a matter of yeah. fact, it's almost like a light bulb went off. Cause I was just like, once you said you always want to get there by like page two or like, just push it further. That makes so much sense to me, Yeah, you know, because, you know, I've been reading a lot of horror um, just for this channel. Right. Mm -hmm. And you have certain expectations as a reader as to like, this is when this is going to be revealed. This is when you're going to kind of figure out what's the main idea, but it's like, you're right. You just get right to it in puppet skin and like Moonfellows. I remember, cause I don't want to spoil either book for any readers. Right. But I remember that Moonfellows, there's this one part where it, it seems kind of like, kind of serious a little bit absurd and then all of a sudden just kind of goes off a cliff like when the guy <laughs> gets recruited for the mission i'm like oh yeah. okay well this is like ridiculous and so that makes so much sense what you're saying yeah i have this book uh called he digs a hole where it's about this guy and, a, and, a, and his wife and they have a marital problems and uh he's dealing with it by he cuts off his hands and puts two shovels on the sides of his hands and just starts digging this hole in his backyard is this kind of way to deal with his problems. And yeah. be like, I can't turn back now. If I cut my hands off and I am now just a man with shovel hands, this is what I do. I dig holes. Um, you know, it's obviously a, a metaphor for uh, some other things going on, yeah. but, but in a normal book, you'd be like, Oh, that's like the second act turn when he cuts off his hands. Right. That's that, right. that's now we're going to get into the story. No, I, that's happening on page one. Like, I want to be right there. If you're not on board with how weird this is right away, you're definitely not going to be on board with how weird it gets by the end of the fucking story. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I just like going, you know, Kurt Vonnegut is one of my favorite writers. And one of his advice is uh, one of the pieces of advice he gave to writers was to start as, the story as close to the end as possible. Right. So I always try to do that. Um, go, if I'm going to start a story, like why not start in the second act and then make the second act, the first act. And what, you know, the third act is the second act. And now we have this third act that is like, I didn't see this coming because, but it makes sense in the story, but I didn't see it coming. Like, because right. this is not the way things are typically structured. Right. Yeah. And see, that kind of leads into a question I had about Moonfells too. And just about your writing in general, I know that it's like cliche to be like, are you a planner or a pantser? Basically, like, are you making an outline? Or are you not? Um, like, I felt like with Moonfellows, you know, we kind of get introduced to the character, but we're, we're already kind of towards the end of his story. And then we see him like get recruited for this mission. Then he's on the mission, but then we go back for the training. And like, um, is that because you're like super eager to get to certain points and you're just like writing it on the fly? Or do you have it like mapped out? Um, I, I do a lot of plotting, um, but Moonfellows, I didn't, that was, there was a lot of on the fly going on, but, uh, yeah. there was a huge edit that I did to the book from its original form Yeah, about a month before publication. <laughs> oh, okay. And I wow. cut about 14,000 words from it. I cut almost, uh, a, 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 a third of the book out. Uh, just any plot point that didn't seem to focus on what it was doing. One of uh, 
this wasn't not at the behest of my editor. He gave a few pieces of advice, but I just kind of recognized what I felt the story needed. But one of the things he did tell me was, you need to get them on the moon quicker. This is called Moon Fellows, and you're, you're, they're not on the moon yet. Um, yeah. Which is kind of going against what I was just talking about. Start start as, you know, as close to the end as possible. Yeah, um, yeah. And it, it's because in the original version, I kind of framed it as a... Uh, this is not how the book played out, but I kind of framed it as a letter that the main character was writing, kind of telling his experience. Um, that's not, you know, I, I got rid of that thread completely. There was a whole thing about how he got all the materials that he was writing this on and what he intended to do with it. Didn't seem right. prudent to the story itself, so so it went. But uh, I had them jump forward in Moonfellows uh, to the moon and then back to the training because I wanted to, to Max's point, my editor, um, get them to the moon sooner. So I kind of put them there and I used that section to kind of go through a lot of the expository section, expository information about how this mission is going to work. So you could be there at the end and seeing how, what they're planning to do once they, once they end up on the moon. And it also works as kind of a teaser for everything that's going to come at the end of the book, I was able to kind of foreshadow lots of little things that are happening, particularly with the captain and, and certain things that come to light with him. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned your editor. And for those that people that don't know, like who haven't read your stuff um, for this book, the editor is Max Booth, the third, right? Yeah. And, uh, um, and it, he's right. the one who put it out too. Yeah. Right, right. And that's under uh, Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing, right? Not Ghoulish Books? Yeah. Uh, he told me that he's kind of focusing more on the Ghoulish name now and a lot more of the horror stuff. But he actually accepted this book like a year and a little less than a year and a half ago. He's yeah. just like, this is kind of where I can slot it in, man. Like, I, we're kind of booked out, but I want to publish this. So it, it kind of had a long windup. And I, that was even before Ghoulish was announced or a thing. So yeah. it, it's kind of the last of the perpetual motion machine books as he kind of focuses more into Ghoulish. There's not much of a difference yeah, in, in terms of, of what the, the material is, as far as I can tell, except for just kind of a rebranding. Right, right. Yeah. But I mean, they've been like going so strong. I mean, especially with that festival. Like, I just feel like, you know, I always get newsletters from him and updates on what's going on. And they're just putting out so much stuff, you know? Yeah, I want to sing Max's praises because I think he is like this boon to the indie horror industry. Yep. He's just kind of this force of nature. I don't know if he realizes it, um, but he is just like this magnetic dude that is... And I find him really inspiring because he's one of those guys that's like, if it doesn't exist, I'm going to fucking make it myself. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's like, there's not a cool book festival for, for books here in San Antonio. I'm going to make it myself. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. And he's a hell of a writer. He's so fucking funny and so – he's just right up my alley. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other guys that was at the convention or the book festival was – um I have his name written down. I always forget it. Lucas Magnum, right? Yeah. Yeah. Lucas. Lucas Magnum. And he tweeted out this thing the other day, which was like all the things that inspired his uh, book that just came out. That was um, Digital Darkness, right? Yeah. And I, I felt like I've, I've never read that book, 
But I, feel, I thought that was a really great, great way to like draw people in was to just say like, oh, I'm inspired by this, this, and this. And you said that you mentioned that in the afterward. Could you kind of tell our viewers like things that literally inspired you? Um, I, I know that you, you mentioned that one particular film, that black and yeah. white film. I, I can never pronounce the director's name correctly, though. Millier? Millier, yeah. It's, it, okay. it is, it's French, so it, it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you could do like the, the American George Millier's or, yeah, right. or, or Jorge Millier, <laughs> whatever it would right. be for, for the Frenchman. Um, but yeah, that was, that was one of my main jumping off points uh, and a lot of early H.G. Wells and Jules Verne stuff too. Um, uh, there's an H.G. Wells book called uh, The First Men in the Moon, uh, which uh, revolves around these two guys uh, getting to the moon using a made-up uh, molecule that he names after himself, which if you've read Moonfellows, there's a made up molecule that is literally the plot engine. And it's, uh, it, there's a very winking uh, name to it. <laughs> essentially. Right. Right. Uh, but it is a, it's part of the plot engine that, that, that every, that everything revolves around, but you know, in, in true form, that's not really what it's about. <laughs> it doesn't really matter right. at the end. Um, right. And uh, I also talked about, um, the Little Prince, uh, which I forgot. I don't know how to pronounce that guy's name either. That's a fucking another French name. <laughs> These Frenchmen. You know what? Frenchmen write existential literature. They they talk, they thought they ask big questions. That's kind of what French art is a lot of it focused on, even to this day. So I kind of am always been drawn to that stuff. Um, right. But yeah, Little Prince is a it's a book that I read uh, when I was young. Um, and it kind of does a lot of that kind of childlike reimagining of the world trying to look at the world through a different lens and uh it also involves uh someone being alone on a on a planet they're in a desert actually a man meets a child in a desert um right and and they have a conversation and of course star trek that that was another one uh was one of my my main things um yeah kind of kind of why i wanted to to have a cast of characters instead of just like one guy. I wanted that kind of cast of, of different personalities, all from different backgrounds coming together right. to do this thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like you, you get that sense when they're all, you know, flying to or heading to the moon and then, you know, um, when they're actually there, you know, it is that kind of diverse kind of group like you have from that original 60s Star Trek. I mean, all the versions of Star Trek, but that's the one I was reminded of the most, you know? And, yeah, and, um, and they had that. I love that kind of campy, low budget kind of look to to stuff too. Right. Uh, I I always when I was picturing it in my head when I was writing the book, I'm like, I wonder what people are seeing if they're seeing this like a film set because that's kind of what I wanted it to feel like. Not yeah. not like a film set, but like a like a fairy tale. You know, it is framed as a fairy tale, so it doesn't yeah. involve kingdoms and, and a lot of gnomes and all that shit that people normally associate with fairy tale, but structurally and thematically, it has that kind of thing that, it, that a fairy tale does. And, and I don't think when people think of fairy tales, they imagine the real world at all. They go, it's like a storybook. I'm, I'm stepping into a storybook. And so the world looks and feels like a storybook. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that with both of your books that I've read, when I would envision a scene, it was always like a music video versus like with other writers, it would feel like very literal, 
like where you know i'm like oh I'm, I'm in this world and this is what the dirt looks like and stuff um like i think you know there's the smashing pumpkins music video that's obviously influenced by that uh millier movie yeah um that's kind of what i was envisioning a lot of times especially when you would like describe like the technology and stuff that's what i would envision um and then like for puppet skin it was kind of more like a like a tool video or something you know and and yeah you know we were talking about like a persona before i, I for me i felt like your books were more like like music videos and 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 it's kind of like more like a rock thing versus like literal like i feel like fantasy and sci-fi can get very like literal and it's all about like the world building i feel like your stuff yeah. is more metaphorical 100 everything usually means something more than what it is like what it literally is happening there's always some yeah. sort of of thread where i try not to have things that don't feel uh that don't have anything to do with the themes of the book so even when i'm building out the world it's all staying true to the theme of of what i'm trying to express um i love that you said puppet skin reminds you of a of a tool video because i was thinking a lot of Coraline specifically when I wrote that book. And I always, I always envisioned if that book ever became a movie, it as a stop motion animated movie. Yeah. Yeah, Because it has that kind of impossible world thing. And that book in particular, there's, there's, I don't even know how, like everyone's controlled by strings that go up to these holes in the sky. And it never, I never explain how they can get from room to room or how they go through ceilings or what any of that means. Right. Right. Because to me, that doesn't really matter. The, the image of, of something pulling your strings from above that you can't see that you can't escape from. And it just kind of hangs over you like a giant hole. Yeah. uh, Is more um important than trying to explain the mechanic the mechanisms by which this world could exist that if i got so tied up in that that's all i would be talking about <laughs> it, that yes i actually had that exact thought when i read both of your books it's like like brian asman just you know because we've been talking about him he just tweeted yeah. something recently about how like people tend to overwrite when they are starting out right and he basically said that they are explaining like every little detail and i feel like most writers they they get into that very literal side of their brain where they have to explain how everything works a goes to b goes to c and exactly what you just explained where it's like you're not worrying about that stuff it's just like you just are getting the visual in the person's head and yeah. yeah, that that really captures it because I think that's what makes your work so different from the other stuff I've been reading recently, and um, that's what's really exciting because I, I really haven't read anything like either Puppet Skin or Moonfellows. And like before, when I was asking you, like, is there anything else like your work, like um, not necessarily direct influences for Moonfellows, but are there any other writers that you feel similar to? I mean, there's. Uh, there, there was this fiction scene out here in Portland called Bizarro Fiction that had been around for a, a long while. And I, yeah. I, I've, these are my people, right? They, I, that's who I've been hanging out with. Carlton Mellick is, is probably the most famous uh, person okay. associated with, with Bizarro. And he does a mm-hmm. lot of this too. He, he, his books are very short. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very metaphorical. And right. he kind of presents you with some kind of ridiculous world 
and uh, a character who has to kind of navigate from one end of the story to the other. And her, hers, usually her, he writes about uh, female, uh, female children a lot, actually. I think he likes yeah. that kind of innocent kind of, again, storybook approach to, to storytelling. Um, yeah. But th this character has to navigate from one end of the book to the other to, uh, to survive whatever trial they got to go through. And, but what they have to go through usually means something more than the literal world that, that they're in. So, and he's, yeah. he's the most famous bizarre writer, but there's uh, a bunch of, of people out there. That's, I mean, I know Lucas, you were just talking about him and Brian Asman from bizarro con, which is the convention they, they would have out here in Portland uh, a couple of years ago. Oh, does that yeah. still exist? Uh, a stripped down version of does now there was, I mean, things kind of went sideways. Um, oh, and yeah, and it's been like hard for for um, Rose O'Keefe. She's the she ran the convention and uh, runs Eraserhead Press out here in Portland. Um, it's been hard for her to kind of get that back to where it was <laughs> at its height, like maybe five years ago. Yeah, uh, but we're still all out here. A lot of people are still writing, and yeah. I don't want to limit myself. A lot of people hear Bizarro and they think silliness and shit, but I don't think that's what I'm doing. I think my, again, like I wasn't trying to limit myself to horror or sci-fi or any of these other things. Right. I, I think what I'm doing is, is I'm trying to write dangerous later fiction, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> like I'm trying to just do what feels right and true to me. Yeah. Um, and however that lands is where it lands. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, I, I know that that's the way it is with music too, right? Is that like, there so certain artists just put out all different types of albums all different types of styles and the the bizarro thing i'm so like um new to it and i don't even know about it that like yeah. i'm sure that you've had tons of conversations like this and it's like oh I, you know i you know where have you been kid like i've been talking about this for like 10 years but like it, it's all new to me and it's like super exciting because i'm just so used to like writers spending so much time just trying to explain how everything works and it's just so cool to just be like here's the fucking visual and like that it doesn't even matter. It's just like, this is what it matters. I, I love that, man. That's, that's how I, I mean, I got here because I discovered bizarro writing. Yeah. Like I, I had been, I had been trying to write since I was 20 years old, you know, like I was, uh, this was back in, <laughs> you know, 2000, 20 years ago, 22 years yeah. ago, whatever. Yeah. Okay. But I, I was, didn't know what I was doing. All I knew is I was making very weird stuff and people are like, you have ability, but like, this is not, where would you sell this? Where would this stuff even go? Like, right. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and, and, you know, there's, there's kind of a very defiant nature to myself. I think my books too, uh, yeah. kind of punk rock mentality. I, I come from a punk rock background, listened and played punk rock myself. So, yeah. Anyone trying to tell me anything, I was always like, fuck you, especially when I was 20. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, it was a long struggle to, to kind of find my place. And it wasn't until I found a bunch of weirdos out here in Portland doing this kind of weird fiction that I went, oh, this is what I've actually been doing this whole time. Yeah, And I was able, and it felt in a lot of ways, like I now had permission to go even further with what I was doing instead of going, how do I appease some sort of nebulous per, like entity of like, 
uh, a publisher or some sort of horror, like the, the quote unquote, who is a horror reader? I don't know. Like instead right. of trying to appease or write to what I think other people want, I found these fucking weirdos writing weird shit. And I went, I could do whatever I want. And I yeah. should have been trying to do that all along. Yeah. yeah. And, and so yeah. it really threw the door open for me. And I just kind of have been running with it ever since. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm a big fan, man. I, I'm so glad that like, you know, I, I met you at Ghoulish Book Festival yeah. and that, you know, I just got to check your book out and then that led me to Puppet Skin. I want to read your other stuff too. Um, for the people that are just getting to know you too, um, can you just kind of like plug some of your stuff that way they know where to find you like online and like where to find your work? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm mostly active on Twitter. It's probably the easiest place to find me. It's danger underscore Slater. Um, or you can go on Instagram, just danger Slater, one word. Uh, I'm, I'm not hard to find. In fact, I'm trying to do the exact opposite of be hard to find. If you type my name in Google, you should be able to contact me any way you want or find me on whatever your favorite social media platform is, uh, except for maybe TikTok. I haven't really jumped on that yet, and uh, I might not. Who knows? Uh, yeah. Let's let other people. Have yeah, it. I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you, you should be able to find me on 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 all the social medias if that's what what you want to do yeah i'll um i'll put your you know twitter handle in the um description and then i'll also yeah. put a link to your like amazon page on there too yeah of course I, I i love that you read puppet skin and moonfellows because there's a secret connection between those two books i kind of did a scene in moonfellows which harkens back to puppet skin or a thing that I've mentioned in public, they're not connected in any real way. They are not shared universes. It is not sequels. It's nothing. But there is a moment where I decided to just like touch those two books together. Mm -hmm. um, just for people who like reading my books, you know, just a little wink to them. And you happen to read the two <laughs> that, that do it. So that's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what happened? It was the reason why I picked Puppet Skin is just because you have it on Audible. And I knew if I listened to an audiobook, I could get through it, you know, in time to interview you. And uh, my kid is the one that picked Puppet Skin. So I was like, all right. Uh, dude, I, so you listened to the audiobook? Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, I loved I loved how that turned out. I wanted I specifically wanted someone who who uh, with a young voice, a, a female narrator with a young voice, because right. the main character is a 14 year old girl. Right. Um, and the the actress who ended up doing it, her name is Sarah Wolford Johnson. Mm -hmm. She uh, really she had the kind of that sweetness to her voice, but really captured a lot of vulnerability too. Yeah. And, and it was just she just nailed it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she did a fantastic job, you know. And what she has to describe in that book, you know, it, it it's just like so upsetting and disturbing. Some of the imagery you put in it too. Like I would be just like going for a walk and listening to it, and I just start cringing, you know, because there's some kind of graphic, disturbing things in it too. I wrote that book. I was like, I want to write something for teenagers. Like, <laughs> I want to write something. Like, so I I purposefully didn't use the word fuck a bunch in it, like I would in some of my other books. I left out <laughs> right. anything super graphic when it came to sexual content because that would be inappropriate for uh, yeah. children. But I didn't really shy away from the violence or the or the grotesque imagery, and right. in fact, I kind of dug into it even more. And right. I don't know if it is even appropriate for. I mean, it is for cool kids, I guess. Right. 
<laughs> but uh, you know, maybe maybe for people under ten, it might not work. Yeah, it right. is about it is about growing up. But I did I did kind of come at it from a you know we've already been there, done that kind of place. You know, right. Uh, so so I feel like there is a lot for adults to kind of grasp grasp onto. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, it kind of reminded me of sort of like um, you remember? Did you ever read like the Tripod trilogy? Do you know what those are? No, it's that. It's like a movie series, or not a movie series, I'm sorry, a book series for young adults where like aliens took over and um, the humans have to wear these like metal caps on their heads and they're like controlled. And, um, it, you know, obviously that's sort of like what the, the foundation of the story would be. And then you kind of took it in this weird direction. It, it kind of reminded me of that. I mean, there's a lot of young adult things that are like this where it's like the Hunger Games or something like that. But obviously it's like nothing like that whatsoever, you know? Yeah. It's got that kind of like dystopian kind of feeling, but it's also just like a metaphor for becoming an adult, you know? And yeah, I, I like that one a lot. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. I always feel like that was like, I'm like, when people say they don't know where to start, I tell them puppet skin a lot of times because it feels yeah. to me like one of the more accessible books. And maybe because it's not, it's a little less jokey than some of the other ones. Um, sure. I, I know a lot of people, yeah, humor's a, a difficult thing to win people over, especially horror fans. I mean, there are horror fans that like humor, but when they hear that a book's got jokes in it, they're sometimes like, no, like that's stupid. I don't, it sounds weird and, and goofy and I don't want to, I don't, I'm not into that. And I'm right. And I, and I've always tried to fight that, that, that struggle where I'm like, no, there's substance here. I'm trying to tell, I'm trying to talk about big questions about life and stuff. And, and how I feel and how people, you know, how difficult things are for everybody. And, right. and um, that's what I'm actually writing about. But it's a hard sell. But Puppet Skin, I feel like, is kind of a little more accessible like that because it's a little more easy to grasp what the book might be about from the description. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... um, I really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, I like Moonfellows. I, I want to check out your other work too. Um, I, you know, we usually have a co-host on here. Yeah. Um, my friend uh, Danny. Danny. Yeah. 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 And, and the thing is when I go to an interview authors, it's kind of like 50, 50, it's either just me or, or me and him. Um, but I, I want him to listen to puppet skin and I want him to maybe meet you if you ever want to come back on the show. Cause I think yeah. he'd really get along with you. Yeah. Um, so if you ever want to come back, like what do you have coming up as far as like, books that are in the pipeline to come out uh i have well i have four other books that i've i've written yeah um that are already done i'm still writing i'm actually writing a uh a longer version uh a full you know full novel not a novella a full novel version of that skinny's story that oh, i was cool. telling okay. or or at least it's part it's a it's a coming of age new jersey murder mystery supernatural it involves those creepy skinnies guys and it's kind of all based around that town that i grew up in um yeah but uh, you know i do have a bunch of books in the pipeline but don't have contracts signed um on some of these uh, even though i do have agreements that they are going to come out so um by next week i should be i think be able to make an announcement on one of them but there is lots of more fiction coming and if if you think I think if people read Moonfellows and go, 
I want more of this, I think I'll be able to give them more of that while also giving them something completely different that they might not have expected because I kind of live to not subvert myself, but expand what I do in every conceivable way. Uh, yeah. I, I have a, uh, the next book that I think will be coming out of mine though is more implicitly a horror story. Okay. Like where I said, I'm going to sit down and write something that is horror that can go, that people won't go, what the fuck is this? Like Moonfellows sure. where they go, how do I classify something this crazy? Right. They'll go, no, this is a horror book. It's just completely weird and crazy also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yes, there's lots, lots, lots coming. And like you were saying, if you follow me on social media, I'll be able to to kind of you can stay abreast of all these things, your listeners. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we would definitely love to have you back on the show. And I'd like to do it when Danny's on the show too. Yeah. And, um, you know, he can read, he can listen to uh, Puppet Skin and then we can uh read whatever you got coming up in the pipeline then i, I want to read that jersey story though because you know i liked the campfire version of it so I'm yeah extended yeah cool, it, it'll 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 feel very you know styline like we're saying it'll be very familiar to you the kind of town that i i'm building in that one so <laughs> nice man yeah. okay looking forward to it cool man well thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today oh thank you man this was great yeah and uh you know we'll see you next time then yeah thanks <laughs>